you have no competition at all, it's probably because you are not in the most effective or, you know, promising business. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Welcome back to the Swisspreneur Show. It's great to have you here again. This is really awesome, uh, you know, being able to do a second, um, you know, podcast with you on such an important, you know, topic. So thank you so much for having me again. Our pleasure. In the first episode, we actually talked about uh, leadership. And today we want to focus on the strategy part. So first of all, if we think about strategy, what do we actually mean in the startup world when we talk about strategy? I think it really comes down to your strategies about you making choices, right? Is, okay, you have a great idea. Probably you'll have a great product. What does it mean? Right? What is that product about? Are you doing A or B? Mm -hmm. Are you going to market X or Y? Are you going to target a bit too big? dimension or a B2C dimension right. or a B2B2C, mm -hmm. right? It's really about making choices, I believe. But would you also say it's about making the right choices? That is a, a million dollar question, right? <laughs> um, because we always say probably there's not really a right or wrong. Mm -hmm. There is a higher risk or a less risk And then, you know, the probability of failing is kind of related to that, uh, you know, to that risk. Got it. And, you know, it's also pretty impossible to delineate a successful strategy if you don't know your value proposition. So I also wonder, you know, you have all the choices available, the options that you can choose from. How do you actually make these choices? You mentioned, you know, the value proposition. That is... Exactly, I believe the compass. So when you have this idea and you start working on an MVP, for example, um, what is that unique thing that you are going to bring to the market that is not really out there, that is not going to be, you know, crushed by lower prices, for example, mm -hmm. and that you have a core competence that you can then build the value proposition. So it really is about being the best in a specific niche or, or segment, so to speak. Yes, uh, much less than be, be the cheapest. Because when you start pricing down, you cannot price up again. Right. Right. So it's really about how can I offer something that probably is going to be pretty unique for a certain period of time. And then how I can reinvent that product or that offer over time, but the value proposition will still be there. Uh, wonderful. That's easy said, but probably hard to execute. In that regard, you're also facing competition usually. So how concerned should you be about your competitors in that regard? Usually I say if you have no competition at all, it's probably because you are not in the most effective or, you know, um, promising business. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I think it's important that you are aware of what your competition you know, is doing. And it could take different lenses, right? It could be you are transforming an industry. Uh, and then your competition are the actors of that industry, right? Let's say fintech versus the banking industry. Right. right? It's just one example. And then you have... You know, also the fact that your strategy will always be relevant if you continue to iterate what you are doing. So in that sense, coming back to the competitors, be curious about what they are doing because it's a reference for you to keep reinventing. But don't be too focused on that competition because then it can be also a distraction and bring noise into your business. And then you start losing sight about what you really are doing and -hmm. where you want to go. And you start being focused on what others are doing and you don't know where they want to go. So you are chasing something that you have a big blind spot. So it's like not too much, but also do not disregard because then it can trump, you know, your own business. So it is about making choices, but making choices to also give you the right focus, so to speak. Focus, in my view, is critical because you as an entrepreneur, you just need to deal with so many things at the same time. You are pushed into so many dimensions and directions And then you have one of the biggest challenges, which is how do you keep the cash in the bank? Yeah. (laughs) So on itself, that is already your probably one of your top challenges, right? How do I bring revenue? Mm -hmm. How do I keep the cash? How can I pay, you know, my team? How do I get to the next round, you know, of funding? Right. Right. How do I, you know, fund the next level of product development? Because otherwise I won't be able to go to market. And so on and so forth. So always doing it in a very lean way, right? Like we do in the start, uh, we say in the startup world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would say be always very careful about what are your priorities. You cannot have ten priorities, but you can have three priorities that are big enough to have an impact, yeah. and that keep you on a narrow path of action and of focus. So once I've then made my choices to really have the the right focus, the right strategy, how does that look like as an end result when I do have the strategy? Is that like a a three-sentence statement that I can share across my company? Or how does the strategy then look like once it's completed? It should be a strategy or a plan, right? That, for example, um, gives direction, you know, to the team, to the company for the next, I don't know, 12 months, let's put it this way. And in that plan, you should have what you want to try to achieve. Who are you going to bring along with you? Mm-hmm. Are you hiring more people? Are you partnering with, you know, a company? So are you going alone? Are you going with others? Right. Right. And then uh, how much you actually need and what is the role of each person into that plan? Because you need to inspire people that are in front of you to believe that something bigger is going to happen for the next 12 months or, you know, whatever is the timeline, you know, for that plan. Right. 
And something, you know, that we usually say is it's good to have a plan, but it's even better if you are planning in continuous mode. And why? Because your strategy is as relevant is at the moment that you have finished something. Mm -hmm. But after that, then things are so dynamic and, you know, the competition can take a completely different turn, right? It could be that halfway through your plan, you need to actually question or diversify your business model to continue to sustain your company. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, a, it's very fluid. What I sometimes see is you come up with a plan and you are like, this is the plan. This is the strategy. We are going to win with this. Yeah. And then it's left somewhere right in a PowerPoint, you know, Mm -hmm. slide or something. And then after a month, no one remembers about it anymore. No one checks. And then, you know, you kind of lose a little bit the momentum of going to something bigger. And then you start just doing increments of what you were doing, even if you didn't have a plan anyway. Right. So you should continuously also revisit, potentially change the strategy, but also communicate it internally. Yes. And, you know, for example, as Usually startups, you do, for example, an update to your investors like once per quarter, sometimes it's even, you know, a shorter period of time, etc. That is the moment where you want to also revisit and be transparent about what is happening. By the way, what are we changing? Right. What did we learn Mm -hmm. in how we want the next six months to kind of look like? Because there's not such a thing as a strategy without execution, because otherwise it's an academic exercise. Exactly. Or, you know, execution without having some form of what I call the lighthouse, Mm -hmm. right? To keep everybody kind of rowing into the same direction. Right. And what should the timeline of your strategy be? Should that be for half a year, for a full year, for longer, for less long? What, What do you think there? I think it is dependent on the business you are in. Mm-hmm. Because usually, you know, when I work with the startups, it's usually on a shorter period of time, right? So this is our plan for the next quarter, the next six months, and then we revisit. And, you know, if you think about, uh, you know, bigger organizations, it's usually 12, 18 months, two, one, two, yeah. two years. But sometimes also, you know, you have strategic, so very high level mm-hmm. plans that can go up to five years. And in some cases, you know, I've seen it 10 years out. Okay. And I also wonder how does the strategy, you know, fit in into the other sort of things that you can talk about, like a company vision that you set. You have your strategy, but you might also have like objectives and key result, most likely on a, on a quarterly basis or KPIs and individual goals that you track even on a more regular basis. So where does the strategy fit in there? And what should you also consider when actually setting the strategy to really align everything of your company? So there are companies, you know, that have what they call a chief strategy officer, right? There are others, you know, that, that don't have or someone, you know, a member is kind of responsible for, you know, like strategy and operations. So usually strategy and operations actually comes together. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is, again, you know, it's not about the plan. It's about execution and continuing to plan. Right. And in that sense, how do you align everyone? So you set the vision, usually, you know, as a leader, you know, before, you know, the new year starts, let's say next year we want to achieve X or Y, right? And then you say, this is the high level plan. Now, what does this mean for each team, for each division in the company? 
Mm-hmm. You know, in Google, yes, we use OKRs. So O stands for objectives and KRs st- stands for key results. And basically, what you do with this framework is every single person in the team has an OKR set, right? Three, four OKRs. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I have a startup I work with that we also work, use the, the OKRs framework. And it's really about aligning those OKRs of each individual. Then it surfaces into the team level, so aggregates. Mm-hmm. And then it needs to be related to what objectives did the founder set. For example, reach X number of consumers mm-hmm. or uh, launch the next market in our periphery, right? So everything else needs to align back there, including like IT development and so on and so forth. But it's a pretty, you know, um, systemic exercise to a certain extent, but I can tell you it's not easy to deploy uh, because it can take quarters or, you know, sometimes years to actually put this framework in place. But if you want to be scrappy, you know, like in startups, you want to be scrappy, just try to do something like that or use a similar framework because you, in some way, want everyone in the team to be really aware of what they need to work on. And that is, again, a co-creation, right? You do not give the team exactly what their OKRs are or their goals. It should be a balance between what you give them as some guidance and what they bring to the table as well. This is a beautiful interplay basically between your, for example, annual strategy where you want to go with the company, then the teams and the individuals break it down in team OKRs and individual OKRs. I think that's a wonderful setup. So my question there is, where do you then get the the strategy inspiration from? Should that be closely tied to your company's vision or, or mission even? Or where do you see that happening? So that strategy or those choices, they definitely need to be anchored on the vision, Mm -hmm. right? Because if they are not, there's something there that is disconnected. If the founders, you know, of of a company say, we want our product to be accessible in the emerging markets, for example, you know, globally. The OKRs that trickle down to the to the teams, they need to be related to that. Whether it is, you know, you know, the product needs to be localized in different languages, right? Right, to be able for launch, you know, in those markets. Obviously, the business teams, you know, probably are already, you know, trying to understand how do we, you know, acquire new consumers in those markets mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. If you spend, I would say, a few hours a day in all of these framework to trickle down to the individual level, I think it's a great investment of time because the next time you do it, you don't spend a day, you spend half day because people start, you know, kind of getting used to those types of frameworks. And I can imagine you would also be surprised once you have that alignment with your team, how much power you can actually unlock within your company. And most important, how much your team brings to your attention that you never thought of, yeah. right? And and that is really kind of a very healthy tension. That's yeah. 
know, circling back to the first episode that we did, this is really the culture that you want to have and build. And that's an important puzzle piece with the strategy part right there. So you also mentioned that it's okay to change your, your goals. I wonder when is that actually okay? When is it not? And how often should you be allowed to do so? You should change kind of your goals. If in the first place, your goals were actually not goals. So what I mean about this is that sometimes, you know, I see even, um, you know, entrepreneurs setting objectives that they know they will reach. Mm -hmm. And I always say, then it's not an objective, it's a, it's a checklist. Yeah, you don't, you do that a bit differently at Google, right? Yes, because, you know, we always tend to, um, you know, it's like set objectives for yourself that have a certain level of a stretch, of an inspiration. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, how can you get yourself out of your comfort zone and yeah. push it a little bit, right? And learning, because it's by having that kind of bigger dimension that you can learn, yeah. can step on something new. And um, you change your goals over time if they also evolve in some way. Mm -hmm. If they are too disruptive and you are always changing them, either you are not being successful on what you are doing, like your go-to-market, you know, uh, strategy, right. um, you know, probably pressure from the ecosystem or so. But I would also say, do not pivot too much. Because if you pivot too much and in a short period of time, you can break your business model. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's the goal, right? Because it means your business model then is not the right one. So you need to change. Yeah. It's not being effective. But if you start pivoting too much, then you, the likelihood for your team to get lost is very high. Yeah. And in that regard, you need to get a balance. Because the change for the sake of change can be very destructive. But we also know that, you know, in the in the organization, especially now, the only constant that we have is change. Yeah. Right? So we need to be agile enough, but also not turn that into what we only do, which is changing things, pivoting things, breaking yeah. things. Because then you break people. I can understand. Yeah. I also wonder, you mentioned, you know, having the perfectly laid out strategy, that's one part, but the execution is actually the other super important part to then make things happen, show progress and make progress as a company. So what tips do you have to really manage that gap between the theoretical strategy on paper where you want to go and the actual execution? Is bringing them together as much as you can. How do you do that? So when you are defining a plan, let's say for the next 12 months, if you have certain people in your team that are the ones that are going to execute, right, and drive it through, bring them along with that plan when you are defining it. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you will not really have probably too much sense of what it's going to look like in reality. If you say, I am going to go out and build five partnerships with some stakeholders out there, mm -hmm. is this an ambitious goal? Is this, you know, not an ambitious goal at all? 
bring your team. They will know if if you have a team or individual working on, you know, B2B partnerships, for example, the person will know, right? You know, right. we'll know also what is possible, what is not possible, and probably what you are missing. Mm-hmm. So the more you bring people along, and and of course, you want to also have a level of separation because sometimes if you bring, you know, uh, the teams too early in the plan, it can be biased by the yeah. execution itself, right? So you need to get a balance, you know, across the two and have a healthy conversation on how they challenge, you know, yourself mm-hmm. and how you challenge, you know, them as well from an intellectual, you know, kind of uh, perspective. But I would say co-create the strategy along with your team because I believe you are going to be way more successful. And if you are already in that stage that you have leaders of teams reporting to you, usually you as the founder, mm-hmm. even more you know, of a reason to bring them along with you because then they will own, and this is very important, they will take ownership and drive the execution of that plan yeah, and then because they probably- are part of it. Exactly. And you have so much more power for the execution than if that happens. Exactly. There, I, had, I do have a follow-up question just to, to better understand it. So would you recommend that you as a founder, you would set the, the strategy on a pretty high level where you say, we want to go to that revenue number or to that amount of clients over the next 12 months and then bring people already in to let that break down into quarters or however you work with your rhythm to then really break that down into their teams and individual goals. Is that the right setup that you would recommend? That is, according to my experience, the one that is most effective for sure. Because then the next part to all of that conversation is then tell me what are the resources that we need? Is it cash? Is it people? Right? Is it something else? Mm -hmm. And then you have your plan. Nice. If this makes sense. Yeah, then everything falls into place because then you know if we want to double the revenue compared to last year, we can get almost there with the current workforce, but we need about two more people in these roles to get there. And then you can do the hires and add that to the strategy. For example. Nice. Yes. I like that a lot. It sounds so simple. So uh, it's it really, you know, you feel like, hey, this is cool. Now I want to go out and just do that myself. That's the, the feeling that I get from the conversation. Yeah. Yes. It's that sense, you know, of ownership, right? Mm-hmm. It's what people want. People yeah. want to feel empowered to have something in their hands that they can just own and go and do it. In many studies, I know, around the world, you look at what motivates people in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And it's not usually the money that they earn. It's the number one reason that I've seen across many studies is about the progress and the impact that they can make. And that is something you can facilitate as an entrepreneur, you know, as a manager in a startup or so, is how can I bring my people to be part of that strategy and that plan so that they, when we have it finished, they are going to own it and they are going to drive it. And then they walk the talk and you do too. True. Yeah, if, if you're not paying attention to that part, you're missing out on a lot of opportunity for your company. I also wonder, you know, we, we talked about coaches and external help in the first episode with you. So I also wonder, where does that come into place here for the strategy part? Is that something that you should actually consider? 
or is the whole strategy development something that is really core to have internal, to have your teams on board where you don't really have space for a coach? It is very important that you also bring external perspectives. You know, whether it is, you know, usually it's with advisors, right, or coaches. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because usually we can bring some perspectives, either, you know, from our experiences that can help you understand, oops, you know, someone else has tried this and this actually didn't work. And we all thought that this was the best thing we could do, Mm -hmm. right? Or someone external, for example, is aware of some local regulations, right? Or some, you know, legal requests that you may not be aware and your team also may not, you know, be so aware. And in that regard, I always say it's important that you have a third party coming in and being and and doing some sparring and being mm-hmm. a sparring partner, I think it's very very important. So they shouldn't be writing or creating the strategy for you, but really be there as a support to identify blind spots and to also challenge you if you are heading in the right direction. Exactly, you know, to ask the difficult the difficult questions while caring for you, nice. and that for me is the most important, you know, role an advisor or a coach can play in a startup. Wonderful. Is there any last tip that you have for startups when it comes to the strategy topic? I would just say, you know, you don't need to be alone on anything. You know, whether it's your strategy or is your cushion or you are facing, you know, an issue with a team member, right? Mm -hmm. You don't need to be alone. Um, And whether it is, you know, a third party like I just mentioned or you know, a friend or a relative, go and ask for help. Because the most successful entrepreneurs that I know myself, they are the ones that seek for more help outside of their own companies. They're very humble. They are very curious. They, you know, are always looking for different perspectives without compromising what then they choose to do, right? Or they own instinct, but they listen to different people with different views, sometimes even conflicting, to find their own way and, and, and move forward. Yeah, because they know it makes them stronger in the end. Exactly. So we have some rapid fire questions for you to end this episode. I either give you a short question or a selection of different options. And you have to explain your choice in one sentence. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Smartphone, laptop or tablet? A smartphone. Why? Um, You know, it's it's because it's mobile. It's much more mobile than anything else. Uh, Laptops, you know, are, are still quite heavy to carry around. And I don't have a tablet. I confess. Fair point. <laughs> How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Just over eight. You know, I'm starting to go to sleep almost when my kids go to sleep. <laughs> so then I can wake up much earlier than they do. Fantastic. Strategy or leadership, if you had to make one choice? Leadership. Why? Without leaders, you won't have a strategy. Nice. Oh, I like that one. That's like a cool quote to put on the wall. What was your summer job as a teenager? <laughs> Um, so my first one was 
when um, the first, you know, real uh, Gillette for women was uh, launched. It is called Venus. Mm-hmm. Back in a lot of time, nine, late nineties, yeah, two thousand maximum, um, and I had a lot of fun with that because I was, you know, kind of doing promotion sales um, of that in the big supermarkets, and nice. uh, it was just fascinating, you know, kind of. It was really my first interaction, you know, with uh, you know CPG world, mm-hmm. right? Understanding consumers, understanding and observing people, um, you know, shopping behavior, for example. I had a lot of fun with that. Nice. And the last one for you, Tay. You've seen the world, so we wonder: Portugal, United States, or Switzerland? Oh, that's very difficult. I know. Um, <laughs> Portugal at the heart always. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be probably my retirement. Who knows? It's a very nice spot to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, U.S. Uh, um, for visiting is where, you know, my kids were born and my husband is from. So um, a lot of respect and care. Uh, Switzerland, the country we, you know, chose to grow as a family mm-hmm. um, and to stay, you know, here for the long term. I would say, though, the most fascinating country I've ever visited is Japan. Nice. I don't know if I would ever, you know, live there, uh, but I would love to go back many, many times there. So I think there's no clear choice because there's always a different spot that is perfect for a certain time or period of your life. Totally. Um, I could, you know, even obviously name others. Um, I loved my times in Paris, right? I think Paris is just an absolute magical, um, you know, city. And usually people ask me, what is the country that you like the most living and working? Mm -hmm. And I said, that country does not exist because it's a combination of all the countries where I lived. Nice. Right. Um, because that's not such a thing as one country, I think. It's just like sure. moments and experiences yeah. and memories that you have from where you live and you bring them along with you and you try to do your best to tell your kids uh, about how many possibilities there are out there that they can also you know, explore when they grow up one day. Right. So I see people can not only reach out to you to exchange about leadership and strategy, but also about finding the right place for them, whatever moment in their life they are currently in. Ellie, thank you so much for taking the time. It was a pleasure talking to you and all the best for the future. We're super excited to see what you're doing. It was my pleasure for sure. And thank you, you know, for the invitation. Um, I think these are such important topics, especially in the current world uh, that is moving at such a fast pace. So thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.